good to worship with you this morning. So this morning, we're going to be exploring the story of Jesus appearing to his disciples after he raised from the dead. And I'm going to be reading a very short story from the Jesus Storybook Bible that will help us remember what happened. So this story is called Going Home. Jesus's friends were afraid So they were hiding in an upstairs room with the door bolted shut. But that didn't stop Jesus. He just walked straight through the wall. It's a ghost, Thomas screamed and hid under the table. But it wasn't a ghost. I'm hungry, Jesus said. What's for lunch? Peter gave him a fish. They all hung back and watched him eat it. This can't be, they were telling themselves. It's impossible. It's not happening. But it was right in front of them. Delicious. Jesus wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and grinned. Can a ghost do that? He winked. And then they all laughed. I'm really here, Jesus said. And he really was. Peter's heart leaped with joy, and he fell into Jesus' arms, hugging him and kissing him. The others followed. They felt that their hearts would burst from happiness. The friends ate together and chatted happily. And every now and then, they'd just gaze at Jesus and have to touch him to be sure that it wasn't a dream. Jesus had a real body, but this body was better. It had come through death and couldn't get sick or get killed again. This body would live forever. Jesus had come back with a brand new body. Not only were sad things coming untrue, the friends realized that they were becoming new again. Was God going to make everything new? Jesus said, I am the savior and the rescuer of the whole world. And they knew because he couldn't stay dead, because Jesus had come alive again, that somehow everything would be all right. Okay, so I have a little quiz question for you guys. So at the beginning when Jesus first appeared to his disciples, what were they doing? I'll give you a minute. If you said that they were hiding upstairs, locked in a room, stuck with their family, you were right. So I don't know about you guys, but these past couple of weeks, I've had to lock inside, I've had to stay inside, and sometimes I've been happy about it, and sometimes I've been more afraid. So I have another question for you guys. When you're scared, what's one thing you do to help you feel brave? One thing that I've learned to do is to talk with Jesus. So when I'm scared or feeling a lot of big feelings, I say, Jesus, will you be with me? Will you give me your peace? Will you comfort me? And you know what? Jesus is so, so happy to do that for us. Because the first thing he told his disciples when he appeared to them, he told them, peace be with you. So anytime you're afraid, Jesus, he will come to where you are, even if you're locked inside your house like the disciples, and he will bring you his peace. 
So please pray with me. Clap your hands together, close your eyes, and put your head down. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you raised from the dead, and because of that, you can be with us in all times, in all places, in all of our houses, God, and you can bring us peace. Help us to share your peace and your love with everyone we know. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, amen. So we are, what, I don't even know what week we're in with social distancing five or something like that. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I r- r- have routine in my life. Um, I go to the gym at a certain time. I go to the store at a certain time. I go to my Spanish class at a certain time. And uh, everything's all worked out in my life with order. And so these last five weeks have been for me just an attempt to regain some type of order. And I don't know if that's the case for you. But what I wanted to do this morning was kick off a series that we're going to be starting on relationships. We were going to do a series on relationships anyway. But this is the COVID edition because we weren't expecting that to happen. And so it's uh, relationships in uncertain times. And so what I thought I'd do is take the six, next six weeks or so and talk about what does it look like to be together all the time? What does it look like our relationships change? And this happens to us no matter what. As we enter seasons and chapters of our life, we change. And when we change, our relationships change. And so you might be getting more offended now. You might be more relaxed now. I don't know. But um, as this continues to go on, you'll begin to change. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And we're just going to kick it off with this idea that you were created to relate. You were created by your heavenly father to relate, not only to him, but to others around you. And um, what happens is, as I'm sure you've been offended before, I'm sure you've been lied to before, I'm sure you've been betrayed before, I'm sure that you've been misunderstood many times. I'm sure that things, you have relationships that have fallen by the wayside. You've had some uh, people that maybe you were close to and now you're just not close to them anymore. And so the question becomes, if, if this is the case, why have relationships anyway? Like, like if, if, if I'm opening myself up to be wounded, why would I take that risk? Well, the reason we take that risk is because we were created by God to relate. And the creation narrative in Genesis uh, goes through all these different sections of what God created, the heavens and the earth and the fish and the trees and all, the, all these things. And uh, you know, the Bible says it was in seven days. And so if that's your theology, that's good, fine. Some people think it happened over millions of years. If that's your theology, the, the point is that God created the heavens and the earth. He's the, he's the author of, the, of creation. And every time he finished something, he's like, oh man, that's good. I mean, you can imagine if you've ever finished a project and you like it, you're just like, oh man, that's, that's good. And so he creates man and he says, that's good. But then he says, it's not good because man is just alone. And so I'm going to make a companion. Now, this obviously has to do uh, uh, with marriage, but that's not all that is. I, I mean, the, the point is that we should not be alone. However, in the process of being in relationship with people, we have the chance to get wounded. And in a few weeks, we'll be talking about forgiveness, and we'll cover that uh, um, well. Um, And so this idea for this morning is this, that our relationships 
uh, change as we change. Our relationships change as we change. You might have a friend, okay? And you guys used to make jokes about different things all the time. Now, it, was so much, it was so funny. It was so funny. And then you got married. And then it's like those things aren't funny anymore. And, or, or maybe you'd go out someplace Friday nights, you and your buddies. And it was just all great. Everybody's crazy. Oh, my goodness. And then you have a baby. And you're like, man, I'm not doing this anymore. I'd like to adult right now. And so, so your relationships change, not because maybe there was nothing wrong with what you were doing. It's just because you change. Well, this is true in all of our relationships. And so what I want to get down, drilled in this morning is this. Our relationship with God dictates what our relationships with others are going to be. Our relationship with God dictates what our relationships with others is going to be. As a matter of fact, all throughout Scripture, the Bible is written in the context of relationships. The Bible expects you to be in relationships, both with God and with other people. And nowadays, we just live in a very individualistic society, at least in in the Western culture, very individualistic, very kind of pave your own way. We, We celebrate those people who forge ahead, ahead of everybody, and they're their own man or their own woman, and we love that kind of stuff. But the Bible doesn't really talk about that. The Bible assumes you're going to be in community, in community with your family, in your, uh, in your religious community, and in uh, your neighborhood. So you look at the Bible and you think, well, what do you mean, John? You mean like the Bible's written about relationships? And you might ask, what about the Ten Commandments? Because those are just a list of do's and don'ts. So I just wanted to go through the Ten Commandments and show you how every single commandment has to do with a relationship. The first one is this, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay, this is God talking. Look, don't let anything get in the way of our relationship. Don't have anything off to the side or anything that you want to do. He goes on, he says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Why? It damages the relationship you have with your heavenly father. I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say, uh, you know, I've been married to Lisa now for over 30 years and um, she has a home office. And let's say, you know, everything's going good. We're we're doing really great. And, And one day... Uh, she puts this poster up in her home office. And uh, I walk in and I'm like, um, hey, that's really cool. It's The Rock. Um, what, what, what's that? Is that? What is that? And you say, oh, she says, oh, it's no big deal. It's just something. I just, I just like him. I like his, his acting and I just appreciate um, all the work that he's put into his movies and he just seems like a really nice guy. So I, I just put a picture up on the wall and I go, well, yeah, that, uh, I mean, if you could take that down, that would be great. And she might say, it's nothing. It's nothing. But it's the fact that there's this thing in our house that, that, that uh, comes between us. You shall not make for yourself an idol. This is what we do with God. We have God and we say, oh Lord, I love you, I love you, I love you. I'll give my whole life to you. And then we have this other thing. Maybe it's money for you. That's the thing that makes you safe. When you open your bank account, if there's a certain amount there, you go, oh, okay. Well, that's an idol. That's a, 
I guess the poster of the rock wasn't that good of an example, but, uh, but that's, what, that's what he's talking about. If you make for yourself an idol, it gets in the way of relationship. It goes on. You, not, you should not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain. This is all about relationship. It's not like saying, you know, OMG, and that God gets all offended by that. It's like, don't call on God unless you really want to talk to him, just like you would in any relationship. You ever done that where you, somebody calls out to you and you're like, hey, John, and you're like, what? And they don't say anything like, oh, yeah, they got distracted. It gets in the way of relationship. Remember the Sabbath. What's that all about? How does that deal with relationship? Well, you need to rest and be with friends and family and calm down and not let the cares of the world just work every single day. I, this is one of my ones I need to work on. Honor your father and mother. Relationships. Do not murder. That's obvious because somebody dies in that one. That's not good for relationships. Do not commit adultery. F obvious. Do not steal from people. That hurts relationships. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. It doesn't help relationships. And you should not covet. Coveting just means that I want what you have. And what happens, with the reason that gets in the way of relationship is because there's this thing that happens through covetousness that I, I celebrate in your loss. And that's not good for me, and it's not good for relationships. So, we have the Ten Commandments. So, what I wanted to do is fast forward to Matthew. Um, we're going to start off in chapter 22, and then we're going to go backwards in Matthew to a sermon that Jesus preached. But Jesus drills this all down into one simple concept. So, what had happened was, Jesus was out with his disciples. He was on a speaking tour and he's preaching and he's healing and he's doing all these things. And somebody comes up to him and he says, Jesus, Jesus, I, 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 the teaching is amazing, but I'm in a rush. I just need you to boil the Bible down to one thing. Can you just, like, I'm getting a tattoo and I just, I don't have enough room on my forearm. And so if you could just boil it down to something cool, maybe in Hebrew would be nice because that looks cool. And just boil it down, boil down everything for me. And Jesus does it. Here's what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the number one thing. It'll transform all your relationships on the planet. But to be able to give yourself fully over to God, to say, okay, God, um, I'm not going to just look after myself. I'm not going to just try to perform my way into power or into popularity or into prestige. I'm going to seek after you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. So that's the one commandment. So the guy's about ready to go get his tattoo. And Jesus says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. You've got to get that down first. Relationships start with your relationship with your heavenly father. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus goes on and he says, and the second is like it. And th to this, the guy would be like, oh, I, I guess I could put that on this, this one. Okay, all right, whatever. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how, how, how do we, how, do, how, do, how does this play out? How do I love myself? Well, here's what I do because I love myself. I let myself off the hook. If I make a mistake, I say, oh, well, 
It's not that bad because, you know, um, if you know, knew the whole story, then every, everything, you, you'd understand. Well, that's what you're supposed to do to others. Let, let them off the hook. It's called showing mercy. The Bible, I think I have my one another's page. I thought I had it. Is it down there? Did I bring it? It's a little white piece of paper. Thanks. Um, and, uh, but anyway, in the Bible, there's all these one another's, okay? Oh, we're not socially distancing. This is terrible. Oh, thank you. Okay. Let me read a few of them to you. This is how you love your neighbor as yourself. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. What does that tell you? That there's going to be disharmony at times. That there's going to be issues at times. That people are going to fail you at times. Stop passing judgment on one another. Ooh, that one's a good one. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Not now. Okay? We're in a pandemic for crying out loud. Okay, I should have crossed that one out. Anyway, I'll tell you about the cultural reasons why they did that anyway. Agree with one another. Ooh, man. Okay, is this written to America? Okay, all right, whatever. Serve one another in love. Bear with one another in love. That means that there's going to be some people who aren't that easy to bear with. Forgive one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Forgive grievances. That means the Bible knows you're going to have grievances in your relationships. The Bible knows that we're broken people. And when two broken people get near each other, there's brokenness there. And it happens. You think, man, with all this stuff, like, why even be in relationship? Because you were created to be in relationship. You were created for that with your heavenly father and with those around you. Have fellowship with one another via Zoom, it says in the Greek uh, confess your sins to each other. Ouch. Via Zoom, maybe. Don't grumble against each other. Carry each other's burdens. Good night. This is the whole list. It's like 32 things. Of loving your neighbor as yourself. Of treating people the way you want to be treated. If, you want, if, you want, if you're speaking to someone and you want them to be present, right? Then do that for others. And he makes this incredible statement. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Your entire Bible, right? You got all this stuff, stories, narratives, apocalyptic things, you know, all this stuff. It all hangs on love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the lens by which we're supposed to read our Bible. It's not about the information inside of it. It's about the transformation and how my heart transforms as I seek after my heavenly father and then he allows me to be able to take that, that mercy and that forgiveness and that love and that strength and push it out to those in love, loving our neighbors as ourselves. So, um, so how does this flesh out? Um, so if we, if, we, if we go from there that the entire Bible uh, is summed up in loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, what does that actually look like? And Jesus actually had painted a picture, a very difficult picture, of how this fleshes out in our lives. And what he does is he takes all the laws of the Old, not all of them, but you'll get the idea. He takes these different laws of the Old Testament, and he, and he gives them hands and feet, 
He puts faces on them, essentially, if you will. So here's what he says. Now, now what we're going to get to is some very hard scriptures. So I just want to make this caveat. This section of scripture was not written so that if you're in an abusive relationship that you should stay there, right? That harder's better and you just need to grin and bear it, okay? If you're dating someone and you just, they're just caustic or you have a friendship and, and it's just caustic, kind of like I said before, like maybe before those jokes were funny, but now you've been seeking after the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and they're not funny anymore, then, then you can... Really social distance yourself from, from them, uh, if that's the case. So you're going to see some tough words from the Bible, um, but it, it doesn't mean you can't be safe or take care of yourself uh, uh, with self-care. And, uh, so just, just, you know, God gave you a brain, and um, so that's good. So here's what he says. You've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. We all know that. We all know that. And I'm proud to say, I have never murdered anybody. I, I'm, so I'm 53. I've made it a long time without murdering anyone. Um, now there were, t okay, anyway. Um, right? So Jesus sets up the standard. Don't murder. Okay, we, okay, cool. Got it. I won't. But I say... Jesus says, as you're relating to people, don't let murder be your, your, your bar. That bar's too low. Whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Who's ever angry? Come on, Jesus. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, which is raka is the word uh, for that in uh, Greek. Whoever says raka shall be guilty before the supreme court. Man, and whoever posts on Facebook, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, you read something like that, and you're like, whoa. Like hell? Well, you have to understand what hell means to Jesus. Hell is just separation from God. And so what he's saying here is, when you begin to view others by a judgment scale, you begin to separate yourself from the heart of God. You begin to separate yourself from what God, how God created you to relate. So if you're looking at people and, and you, you, you get angry with them because of outrage, and that's, that's a whole nother sermon, um, outrage, or, or you call someone a good for nothing, doesn't matter who it is, that, that something's beginning to happen to you. And God's like, that, don't waste your time with that. Don't, don't, you, you don't want someone doing that to you. When you say you fool, you're, you're, you're separating yourself from God. And this is the standard that he's, he wants us to have. As we're at home with our family now and the tensions begin to rise, we begin to see, okay, what can I do to be the best Jesus in this home that I can? Look at, look at how serious Jesus is about this. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, okay, this is a very spiritual, intimate moment between you and God. You have, your, you have your offering at the altar. And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave the offering. Isn't that amazing? Like you think, no, 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 I'm going to be upset with him, but I'm just going to keep offering things to God. I'm just going to make it right between me and God. God says, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
leave that offering before the altar and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come back. In other words, make that connection with the people in your life and then you can make that connection with God. The two go hand in hand. He, he, he continues on. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. That's still true, by the way. So just keep that in the back of your mind. And, and so you could go through the rest of your life. Hey, I, I haven't committed adultery. And he goes, yeah, but see, that's a low bar for the kind of relationships, the kind of deep relationships I created you to have. I want you to have deep, meaningful, rich relationships. And if you just set it down to don't commit adultery, that doesn't help you. He goes on, he says, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, the best thing for you and your relationships and for me and my relationships is not to objectify people. That doesn't have to just do with adultery. Maybe your boss, you only see your boss as a means to an end, a way to get a raise. And maybe she's in your way or he's in your way. And, and, and so you just got to figure out how, how can I get past them? That's objectifying them. Don't objectify them. They're worth is so valuable to our Heavenly Father. And so we, we look at them through that lens. We don't objectify people. Then he gets into a really, really, really hard section of Scripture. But I'm telling you, if you can apply it and begin to view your relationships through this lens, it'll, it'll, change, it'll change all your relationships. He goes on, You have heard it said, that it was said, Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, what does that mean? Because, you know, if you, somebody comes up and they have a knife or whatever, Jesus isn't saying like, yeah, it's, it's like two inches over, like right there, go, go for it. Of course he's not saying that. What he's saying is, this, this, what was happening uh, when this was written, the eye for an eye, was that people were escalating things, right? And as humans, we do this we're like professionals at it. And I'll give you an example of how it works out in my life. Uh, when my children were in, uh, where they were little, they would all be in the back seat, three of them in a row, okay? And they didn't like anyone touching them at all. So I would put two imaginary lines down the middle. You, they, were, they were small, so you, there's imaginary lines. And I'd say, don't cross the imaginary line. And... Of course, uh, as children do, as I did when I was little, I would put my hand on the seat and I'd inch, inch it over a little bit until it just annoyed the person. Like, okay, stay on your side. Dad said you're supposed to stay on your side. So, so I, that's what I'd do. And that's what my kids did. And then the other one would start to do it. And then their fingers would touch. And when their fingers touched... It wasn't just like, hey, you know what? Let's just back off again. You know, we, we, dad said, no, no. No, they'd touch, and then the one would hit the other one's finger. Like, don't touch me. And then the other one would hit the other one's hand. You hit my finger. You hit my hand. And if you have two boys, it just blows through all that, and their seatbelts are off, and they're just going after each other, right? And what did it all start with? It all started with just this thing. And so... This was written in scripture, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. It's like, look, that's not good for relationships. <laughs> so when there's a grievance, bring it to the court. We'll settle it fairly. 
he, Jesus is saying, look, don't, don't resist an evil person. In other words, when there's a person, we, we see evil like, you know, horror movie or whatever. Jesus is saying, when you're confronted or wronged, don't, don't feel like you need to retaliate. That's all. Get to a place, hopefully, as you follow after your heavenly father, as you look to him for all that you have, you look to him for your worth, you look to him for your validation, you look to him for your, for your value and who you are, that begins to transform your heart so you don't have the need to need to retaliate because you don't need to be right is what Jesus is talking about. He says, now this gets, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Again, uh, the Bible knows we're smart enough to know that you don't just like walk through the mall getting slapped by everybody, all right? That's not what it means. Being slapped in that culture was the ultimate disrespect. It was the ultimate disrespect. So again, Jesus is saying this. When someone disrespects you, when someone writes a post about you, you don't need to rewrite it back. You don't need to argue. You don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to, if somebody writes something outrageous on the internet about somebody and something, you don't need to post it underneath there. That's not helpful for relationships. I take that back. Actually, most of the time when you post something on the internet, the person's heart is immediately changed and angels come down and all is healed. Uh, okay. So just go, okay, that's the person's opinion. I'm, mo I'm moving on. It's not good for you and for me to engage in those things. Ooh, this one's hard. And if anyone wants to sue you, and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So another, if someone takes advantage of you, don't go after it and try to get it. Just go, look, my heavenly father clothes me. So I, I don't care. Now this is really interesting because in this culture, um, you actually weren't allowed to, if it, your coat, your cloak was like very, very valuable to you. It was very personal as well. As a matter of fact, there was a law uh, that if I said to somebody, hey, um, I'll be back at five. Here, take my jacket as, uh, you know, I'll, I'll come back with, with the hundred bucks I owe you. Here, take my cloak as, a, as um, collateral or whatever you call it. Uh, by law, they couldn't keep it. They'd have to give it back to you by sundown because that's probably what you were sleeping in. And so uh, your, your coat was, was uh, very important to you, very personal. Jesus is saying this, when somebody takes something from you, Something personal, your shirt was just basically like ours. It's this thing that was touching your skin. Just let it go. Let it go. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is, a, again, this is a historical issue. Uh, Israel at the time was occupied by the Romans. And if a Roman, if you were going to work, let's say you're going to work, you're riding your camel or whatever, and you're like in bumper-to-bumper -bumper camel traffic. I don't know how it worked with there. And you're in a rush, okay, right? And so the boss says, if you come late one more time, you know, you're fired. And so you're going on your camel, and there, there's a centurion, and you're like, you know, please don't, don't pull me over. Please don't pull me over. Please don't pull me over. And he goes, hey, I need you to carry this. You, by law, you'd have to do that. And, but they were only allowed to go one mile. 
And Jesus says, Here, here's the thing. I, I want you to be in such a place with your relationship with your heavenly father that um, being interrupted doesn't bother you. Wow. That being interrupted, your agenda, your, where you're going isn't the thing that is, is at the forefront of your mind. I want you to get to a place with your Heavenly Father. You begin to see these interruptions as maybe um, opportunities to be able to be more like Jesus. He goes on. It gets worse. The whole thing gets worse. Uh, Give to one who asks of you. Oh, man. And don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, I don't know. Do you have... Do you have... uh, People on your phone, where when that phone rings and you look down at the name, you know they're not going to ask you about your day. You know they're not going to say, hey, I've got something for you. You know they're not going to say, oh, I was just calling to see how you were doing. You know they want something from you. You have any of those? I don't because I'm a pastor and I'm very holy. But I've heard that some people do. Uh, No, of course I do. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. Pick up the phone when they call. I, I know it's an interruption. I know they're, gonna just, they're just gonna take from you and take from you and take from you, but I, I want you to get in such a relationship with me that you don't need to, you're not going to get filled up by them. You, you, you don't need people to call you and affirm you. I'll affirm you. I want, I want you to run to me. And so that way I can fill you up so that you can pick up that phone. And again, we all need healthy boundaries. Don't get me wrong. You know that. You know, if, if, if you have a person in your life like that, then you need to be able to work through that and articulate with them. Hey, I can't, I can't pick up the phone. I can't talk to you every day. I got stuff going on. Uh, and you really mess up my mental health. No, don't say that. Okay. And so if you pick up the phone. gets worse. You've heard it. It was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That only comes from a rich relationship with your heavenly father. Jesus had that. Jesus had that relationship with his heavenly father. As a matter of fact, Jesus would say things like this. I don't do anything unless my Heavenly Father tells me to do it. And I don't say anything unless my Heavenly Father tells me to say it. Now, just, just real quick, in your homes, in all your relationships, at work, on your Zoom calls, can you imagine if you didn't say anything unless your Heavenly Father told you to say it? Your relationships would immediately become better, right? We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to talk about uh, lashing out. It's going to be... Um, hard. Uh, And so pray for those who persecute you. Now listen to this. Listen to this. That you may be children of your father in heaven. This is what God's kids do. You ever seen a a family, you know, that's been raised and you're just kind of like everybody, all the nuts didn't fall far from the tree, either good or bad. You're just like, oh yeah, that family's, you know, like wonderful and like all the kids are perfect or oh, oh my goodness, right? That, that's, that's, that's it. That, that, how you act is going to be a reflection of whose child you are. And the children of God, they love their neighbor and they love their enemies. And they pray for those 
who persecute them. He goes on to see why. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, you're not so much better than them. God sees us all. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not the tax collectors doing that? And that was a, that wasn't, they were bad in those days. Now they're wonderful. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not the pagans even do that? As Wilson comes back up, because this next verse is really amazing. I hope what I've helped us uh, remind us of is this. We were created to relate to one another, to each other, and to our Heavenly Father. That relationship with our Heavenly Father comes first. And so that's where the, all of our energy gets poured into. How can I become more like Jesus? And from that comes the fuel to be able to relate to those around us. So here's my, here's my thing for you. In these coming weeks, pick two to four people. Maybe, maybe one of them is like the person you just don't pick up the phone and you say, you know what? In the coming weeks, I'm, I'm going to pick up that phone. I'm, I'm just going to do what I think my Heavenly Father would have me do, even though it's an inconvenience, even though it feels like, and, 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 and I'll talk for five minutes, and I'll, maybe I'll double it to ten. Instead of going one mile, I'm going to go two. Maybe that's one of your people. Maybe there's a friendship that has been um, dissolved, and you're like, man, I need, to me I need to mend that. Maybe it's just in your, in your house. As everybody's convening together. And if you kind of had to give your house a grade of how everybody was interacting, you say, it's a C. And maybe it's just like, hey, in the next few weeks as we go through these different topics, I want to make it a C plus. Maybe it's your marriage. Uh, maybe it's a C and you're just like, you know, I, I can make this a B through my, the help of my Heavenly Father, but I have to press into Him because here's the next verse. Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly father is perfect. Now you say, wait a minute, John, are you telling me that in order for my relationships to work, I have to be perfect? What about them? Well, here's the thing about the one another's. You only need to be concerned with one, not another. It doesn't say manipulate one another, control one another, triangulate with one another, so one another can tell one another what you want one another to do. It doesn't say that. You just need to, and I just need to worry about the one, and that's me. Becoming like Jesus as best I can. Let me pray for us, and then Wilson will lead us in a last song, and then I'll come back up and um, give us a blessing. Lord God, we, this is so hard. All of this is so hard, and as we're going through this series, God, different things are going to impact us differently uh, based on um, uh, our family dynamics, how we handle stress, um, how we socially distance. For some of us, God, this is awesome because you can just sit in your room 
And maybe for those people, you, you say, it's time to reach out. It's time to make some phone calls. It's time to engage and not just be safe. So God, we pray as we move forward in the coming weeks that uh, you would guide and direct us. You'd give us strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like we do every week, uh, if you are uh, at your house and you feel comfortable and you're not in your bed or whatever, if you want to stand for the blessing. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go in his joy and in his strength and in his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.